If you would turn with me to Psalm 121. I'd like to look this morning at this very familiar psalm and consider it in the light of our troubles. But before we read, let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful that we have this time together. We're thankful that as we worship you, that you come to us through your word and you speak words of comfort, words of exhortation, at times even words of rebuke. But we embrace all of those because they come from you, our loving and merciful Father. Father, as we come now to look into your word, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Let me talk to the little theologians just a minute. I'm a pacer, and so the sound may not always follow me. We'll see how this works. And those of you who are live streaming, the camera may not always follow me either, but I'm still here. Little theologians, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to draw a road, okay? But it's not just any road. It's supposed to be a road that is just full of broken concrete and big holes, potholes. Can you do that? I think you can do that. And we'll see how that sort of fits with what we're talking about today, because really what we're looking at today is a road song. It's a song of a sense, one of 14 psalms that were sung as God's people went up to Jerusalem. And so this is sort of a a song about the road that is a metaphor for the Christian life. But before we get too far into that, I want to talk to you about an experience that I had years ago when I was first starting with traveling to Africa and, and teaching in Africa. I was in Uganda, and we were supposed to do a conference in a little town called Kabaramido. Now, Kabaramido is out in the boonies, but our driver 
and our sort of our leader, Martin, knew a shortcut. You already you know where this is going. We took that shortcut. It was going to cut hours off of our time to Cabramido. It's me, Don Mountain, my cohort, Martin Odie, and his wife, Helen. And we're in this car. We're, it's not actually, it's a four-wheel drive vehicle. And we're taking this shortcut. And everything is fine until it wasn't. We were in elephant grass, eight to 10 feet high, and we couldn't find where we were supposed to go. We went back and forth and back and forth and back. Now see, here's the problem. We're close to a lake and the water's getting, or the ground is getting soggy. And so we're trying to figure out where to go, can't see, the water's soggy, we don't want to end up in the lake, and we're late. And then it gets dark. There is no darkness like the darkness in Uganda in the middle of elephant grass. I know that, I can testify to that. It was unbelievably dark. And we went back and forth and back. Finally, we said, you know, we can't figure out our way. It's the guys, of course. And we said, maybe we'll have to stop and ask somebody, but there's nobody there. So we finally decided our only option is to turn around, go back to Sorodi, four hours back to Sorodi, and come in the morning. And as we very gingerly turn the car around, Helen says, she hasn't said a thing the whole time. Helen says, maybe we should pray. Three preachers in the car. We haven't prayed a lick. We've done everything we could think of. So we stopped and we prayed. By now, it is so dark, we can hardly see, even with the headlights, we're headed back through the elephant grass. And here is a man standing on the side of the road, dressed in white, and we roll the window down and Martin says to him, I, English is the language of Uganda, so he says to him in English, do you know how to get to Cabramido? The man says, yes. And he points back the way that we just came. And he said, if you go that direction, you will find what you are seeking. Martin said, but we just, if you go that direction, you will find what you are seeking. So we jockeyed the car around and we began going the back, back the same direction. Look back, the guy's gone. It's elephant grass. I mean, you can just, you don't know what's in there. Could be elephants or snakes. 
don't like snakes. We drive along, the track goes from a muddy road to two wheel ruts, and then it goes down to a footpath. And we're driving through the grass as the, the grass is sort of waving in front of us, and less than a mile later, we come up on the road, the main road, to Cabramindo. Now, I can't explain that. I even looked at the map to try to figure out how it all worked. I don't know how it all worked out, but I do know this. We were lost. We were in trouble. We didn't have any idea what to do. We did everything we could think of to do, and then we prayed, and God answered. It was a great conference, by the way. God wanted us there for the good of his people. So I, wa I just want to look at this psalm and I want to ask a few questions. This is not going to be profound. If you came here hoping to find something really deep and profound, you're not going to get it this morning. This is just God's word. And the first question... I want to ask is, who is this person that's talking in this psalm? Who is this person that lifts their eyes to the hills? The second question is, who is this God that he's talking about? And the third question, which we'll get to toward the end, is why does God do this? But we'll have to talk about who the God is and why he does it. First of all, who is this person? Uh, just a real quick context. This is a psalm of a sense. The context is walking through the wilderness, and you've heard this enough times that you know when you go to Jerusalem, you go up. It's about several thousand feet that you have to go up from the Jordan River because they went back and forth on the Jordan. But once you start up, you're in the wilderness. It's desert until you get to Jerusalem. And so they're in the wilderness, they're on, <clears throat> excuse me, they're on a road that is not easy. And there are a lot of robbers, remember, the Good Samaritan. There are a lot of dangers on the road. There are all kinds of things that are going on, potentially great dangers. The journey is full of trouble. We're traveling to God, but the journey is full of trouble. So in this psalm, this is a person who needs help. And they end up being representative of all God's people. They're a person who needs help, that troubles have assailed them. They're full of doubt full of uncertainty. They're God's people doing God's will, but they're tempted toward practical unbelief, just like three preachers lost in a car. Calvin says this. You always have to quote Calvin. 
This psalm is addressed to those who, disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around them and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to their troubles. I look to the hills. Where is my help coming from? So the psalm gives the characteristics of these people. Let me just walk through it real quickly so you you catch the idea. These people are caught in troubling circumstances and unsure of where to look for help. That's verse one. They're stumbling and they're prone to falling. That's verse three. They're doubting whether the Lord is aware of their trouble. Is this starting to sound familiar? They're doubting whether the Lord is aware of their trouble. Verse 4, they're endangered or exposed to dangers both outward and inward. Verses 5 and 6. And they are endangered by soul-threatening evil. Verse 7. And in verse 8, they are people who are on the road to God but it is a road filled with trouble. I'm speaking to Americans. I'm an American myself, mostly. Life is easy here. But for the last year and a half, two years, Forever, it seems like. Life has not been quite so easy. The troubles that we have faced have given us perhaps just a small bit of an understanding of what God's people go through in the rest of the world. It's not so convenient anymore. And there's always this hint of danger on the horizon. In other words, we are these people. We are the people who are looking around for help. And we need to be reminded about our merciful God. So question two, who is this God? Because his presence and protection dominate this psalm. This is really not a psalm about the man. a psalm about God, the God who is the one caring for this man. Notice that there are several ways this God is designated. First of all, he's called the creator. He's the maker of heaven and earth. We don't see it perhaps as clearly as we should, but if someone, a Jew of this period of time, were to read, I will look to the hills. He's not thinking about mountains. He's thinking about the hills that are around him, hills which were used as sites for Canaanite worship, pagan worship. And the thought here that is designed to bring up in the minds of the reader, the mind of the singer is, if you look to the hills, you can see the idolatry that is going on around you. And that's exactly what we tend to do. We have a tendency to look to the hills. 
We look in the wrong places. We begin to look when we're in trouble. We begin to look to human effort, to human aid, to prevent, to remove, to remediate our troubles in life. There are many kinds of hills that we look to. Government, medicine, (laughs) vaccines, counseling, the stock market, politics. I mean, the list goes on and on, and they all have their place. And in their place, they're all important. But the psalm wants to give us a corrective as we're tempted to look to the hills. I have to stop and tell you a story. It's a brief one. My friend Gideon, some of you have met him. My friend Gideon, one of the first times he was here, uh, we were talking about disease and, and he said, you know, we don't have medicine in Nigeria. And I said, you don't have medicine in Nigeria. Well, then what do you do? He said, oh, it's very simple. We pray. That's the end of the story. I hope you can follow that to its logical conclusion. (laughs) The corrective is that our help comes from God. He is the one who's created the hills. He is the one who has created the things we tend to trust in. Who better to depend upon than the Creator? The psalmist is telling us, in essence, that when we look to those hills, whatever those hills might be, We are not looking high enough. We desperately need God's help. We cannot do life on our own. The road that we are on is full of potholes. Some of them are large enough to swallow us whole. And without God's help, they will. But not only is he the creator, he's also the helper. You see this in verses 2 through 4. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The point here is that God, and it's interesting, he calls himself a helper. This is common for God to call himself this. He is our helper. And he is aware of what is happening right now in your life. Now I make that point, especially for those of you who, like me, are doubters. You question whether God is really completely aware or at least paying attention to what's going on in your life right now. Probably because you feel like you haven't lived up to his expectations. But look at what the verse says. And again, this is contextually, this is 
this is important for the Israelites at the time, the one who keeps you, the one who keeps you will not slumber. He's not asleep. He's not unaware of what's going on. You'll remember Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and the prophets of Baal were trying to wake up Baal so that he would answer them. It was common for Middle Eastern gods to fall asleep or go on vacation or do all kinds of things, all right? So you had to get their attention. And what the psalmist is saying to us is you don't need to do that with God. God knows. He's aware. He's not sleeping. Even though he hasn't answered yet. The psalm also calls him our shade. I love this. I, I, I'd love to just focus the sermon on this, our shade, because the word shade can also mean shadow, all right? And what, what the psalmist is doing metaphorically is he's saying that God is as close to you as your shadow. You can't get rid of him. He's right there. He's at your right hand. He is your shade at your right hand. Think about all these things that are going on in the minds of the people reading this as they walk through the desert, the sun beating down on them, and all of the problems about potentially slipping and falling. The Lord is right there. And he's, why right hand? Is this, you know, some kind of thing against left-handed people? No, no, it's not. Um, right hand in this context again. If you're a warrior, you wear a shield on your left arm and your sword is in your right hand, you need protection on the right side because there's no shield on your right side. So your shield bearer would stand next to you on your right side and guard your right side, all right? And what it's saying essentially is that God is protecting you. But what is he protecting you from? The sun shall not smite you by day. Nor the moon by night. Now we're getting really out into the weeds because, again, these, these metaphors don't strike us as they would someone who's walking perhaps for weeks to get to Jerusalem. But as you're walking through the Middle Eastern sun, you recognize the dangers. I was hiking at En Gedi at one point. They have a big sign up there. And they say, warning, carry at least two liters of water for every hour you are going to be gone. It's so dry in that climate, you don't even know that you're sweating the water out of your body. And so you have to drink two liters an hour, yeah, just to stay healthy. The sun will not smite you by day. It is, it's a metaphor, it's a, it's a picture of those outward 
difficulties that we find ourselves having to face every day. Difficulties that Paul talked about and that Jason read about. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, coronavirus. Oh, that, that wasn't in there, but the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The thought during this period of time was that if you slept outside at night, it gave you mental problems. The moon did that to people. They called it being moonstruck. It, we have it in our own language. We talk about someone who's a lunatic. It's the same idea. They're moonstruck, all right? But the idea, I think, is again talking about challenges, inward challenges, troubles that we find ourselves going through, death, life, angels, rulers, powers, height, depth, depression, bipolar, discouragement. You know, we travel through a spiritual landscape as well as a physical one. And that spiritual landscape is often a wilderness. Some of you know it very well. We are the focus of spiritual battles. And the enemy does everything he can to discourage and distract us. And we are often our own worst enemy. <laughs> With depressions and emotional damage, all the things that come from living in a fallen world. But let me get to the point. Here's the point of the psalm. And it's found in two more words. The first word is keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Six times in this short psalm. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. May I say that the theme of your life, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the theme of your life is not your troubles. The theme of your life is that you are kept in the midst of those troubles. That God faithfully keeps you. He does not keep you from troubles because those troubles are necessary. You know, we won't learn to trust God unless we are put in circumstances we cannot handle. Right? I'm looking at some of you. Some of you aren't looking at me. Because you're maybe not agreeing with me. I don't know. But God puts us in circumstances we can't handle on our own. Why does he do that? Oh, God, why? Because he wants us to know that he's our keeper. And that he will faithfully provide for us in the midst of those circumstances, the midst of those troubles. 
But the psalmist goes on and he says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Now I know, I wish it said, the Lord would keep you from all trouble. It doesn't say that. The Lord will keep you from all evil. What kind of evil? The evil of looking elsewhere for help. Now, I'm not saying don't get the vaccine. What I am saying is recognize that God is your helper. God is your keeper. And use the means that he has provided, whether it's government or medicine or whatever it is, but he is the one who provides for us. He keeps us from the evil of looking anywhere but to him for help. The evil of stumbling so as to completely fall. The evil of turning away from God. Or, worst of all, the evil of losing our soul. For you see here, the Lord will keep you from all evil, verse 7. He will keep your, the ESV says life. The word is soul. He will keep your soul. He will keep your soul. That which is most important to you and to God is in his safekeeping. I was reading Eugene Peterson's commentary on this psalm. And he says, not all the water in all the oceans can sink a ship unless it gets inside. I sort of like that. Not all the trouble in all the world can do you any harm if God keeps your soul. Whatever may come our way on the road of life, we can be assured that God will keep our life, our soul, because God is for us. We have divine trip insurance. So my final question, why does God do this? Well, it's in the psalm. It tells us very clearly we just don't see it. Who is your keeper? It says right here, it says, the Lord, which is really helpful except when it's not. Notice that in your Bible, it's capitalized. That means it is the name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh, our covenant God. Four times in eight verses, Yahweh. He keeps us because we're his. He is our covenant God. We are his covenant people. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, he has brought us in and embraced us as Israel. We are cared for by him. He keeps us because of that. He keeps us because Christ continues to pray for us. And I'd love to just go out and show you all the places you can do this. All the places where the word keep or kept are used. 
John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ, what is his prayer for the disciples? Holy Father, keep them in your name. He's praying that prayer for you right now. Keep them in the midst of their circumstances, of their troubles. Keep them. Protect them. He keeps us because he's faithful to his promises, promises like Psalm 121. He keeps us because he intends to spend eternity with us. I don't know if you saw it or not. Look at verse 8. He will keep, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. How long? From this time forth and forevermore. That one word, forevermore, you see the real horizon of the psalmist's vision. This is not just for this life. The Lord will keep us forever. He intends to spend all eternity with us. He is not going to fail us now. No way. No way. He is for us. The entire plan of salvation makes this clear. And his benevolent intentions toward us will carry us through this life, through death, and into the eternal life that is yet to come. So if you're like me, and you need to be reminded, underline that word, forever, forever. forever. So what? Okay. Whatever wilderness that you are experiencing right now, God is with you. I, that, that's right on the face of the psalm, right? He's with you. He's keeping you. Not only that, but you are safe because you are kept by an almighty guardian. And his interest in you, his commitment to you does not fluctuate with your spiritual temperature or your circumstances. One more illustration, and I know time is getting away from us. You remember when David was in Gath serving Achish, the king of the Philistines. Not the first time, the second time. The second time, he's actually a warrior in the service of the king of Gath. He's living at Ziklag with his soldiers, and they are going out, and they are actually destroying the people, the enemies of the people of God, but they're telling Achish that they're attacking the Israelites. And Achish is on his way to fight King Saul and David says, I'm coming with you. I'm ready to go. But the Philistine commanders say, we don't trust this guy. We don't want him coming with us. 
Now, regardless of what you think about where David is spiritually at this point, let me tell you, he's in a wilderness. But in the midst of his wilderness, when he can do nothing about it, the very enemies of God keep him from violating his anointing. God is not limited in his means to keep you. Even when you can't lift a finger to help yourself, you are kept by your covenant God, by your Father. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you that you are faithful to us because you have called us to be your people. In Christ's name, amen.